0: Hello and welcome to GradCast, the official podcast and radio show of the Society of Graduate Students. Today, I'm here with my guest,
1: Adam Rooney,
0: and I myself is one of your hosts, Gregory Robinson. We also have co-host,
1: Gavin Tolometty, and your producer for tonight.
0: Thank you very much. And anyways, Adam, you are a big poker fan. Yes. Yes. I, you know, I'm, I like poker. I'm not very good, so I don't usually gamble too much, but, um... This is basically what your research is about and it's also a major passion in your life.
2: Yeah. So I've been playing poker ever since I was 18. Just I started hosting tournaments in high school. It was a huge social outlet for me. I remember watching George Lopez as a kid <laughs> and they had a family poker night and I just thought that that'd be so much fun to have. So my dad invited me out to one of his poker games. I came back loaded with cash. So that, that was awesome. Told all my friends they wanted to start playing so we started playing. Then when I got to Western, I started playing online. My dad gave me $50 to play around with, and I turned that into an account that paid for my undergrad. Wow. So- Well,
1: oh, that's impressive.
0: $50 to an undergraduate degree?
2: Yes. Pretty good. Yes, it was awesome. I just paid the my tuition directly from my account, paid off my credit cards. It, you can't really do that anymore. There's uh, You have to actually cash out, put it in a bank and all that, but- it's a really awesome system and, you know, I had an algorithm that worked to a T. I had something like a really? 120% wow. return on investment over a two-year span, so it was really lucrative and not to mention it is a passion of
0: mine. That's amazing. I'm really looking forward to it because whenever I would play poker games, usually I lose <laughs> and I don't make – I usually lose money and so it's not – it's not as fun when you lose money, but no, not quite. still you not enjoy quite. it,
2: right? But, oh, I, I go through yeah. many. I've lost money more days than I've won. But the day when you do win, the prizes are typically a lot bigger than okay, when okay. you do lose. So,
1: Yeah, I remember me and my friends, we used to play a bit when when I was in my undergrad, and we'd always keep a tally of who how many times everyone won. And we'd always get annoyed because for a while, the same person won three times in a row. And not even by skill or even luck, it's just everyone would always fold and they always had nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so we found out he was really good at bluffing or did not know that he was very good at bluffing.
2: So it's actually interesting that you say that because that does segue into one of the papers that I've produced in the sense that I... So I've got players in my game theoretic model that have two distinct skills. Expertise, which is the ability to gauge your relative hand strength, so to essentially understand the situation that you're in, and perceptiveness, which is your ability to know whether your opponent can gauge their relative hand strength or expertise. And with what I've found is that when a player knows that they're up against someone who's not good at the game, my model advises them to utilize uh, an ultra aggressive strategy in order to induce them into folding more frequently than they should. So actually that aggressive gameplay when you are up against people that don't really know the game, that is the game theoretic best response for a perceptive player.
1: Hmm. Interesting. So would for the model, would you have to go through, do you have to go through scenarios for it to understand these or is it able to predict?
2: So the way that... Uh, I've set up the game theoretic models, right? I've outlined the players, the actions, the payoffs uh, that each player will receive, given the actions of other players, and the priors, which are just what the players believe of a certain state. So they know that their hands can range from a value of zero to one, zero being the worst, one being the best. They know that there's a certain probability of their opponent knowing their... Uh, their own relative strength. Um, but with that, I essentially constructed the game theoretic model, came up with strategies that are suitable for analysis. The strategy of an expert player is to use what's called a cutoff strategy. So the expert player knows their relative hand strength. Now they're going to choose to fold every hand below a certain threshold and call with every hand above a certain threshold. Okay. then an an expert player who doesn't know their relative hand strength will just choose to call with some probability and fold with some probability. It's called a mixing strategy. Then with that, I actually use uh, probabilistic analysis to determine, based on the probabilities of the prior distributions and what players believe, to determine best responses, which essentially tells the player to, okay, if there's a probability of a half that you're up against an expert, a probability of half that you're up against an expert, if um, you are up against... If your opponent is acting in this specific way, this is what you should do. Okay. Then Hmm. that essentially generates a system of equations which I can then solve. So if you have four equations and four unknowns, the four strategies for the possible players the first player who's expert, the first player who's inexpert, expert, the second player who's expert, and the second player who's inexpert. expert. Then using those four equations, I can get those four unknowns, and that generates the equilibrium, which then I vary uh, according to stakes. So under low stakes, this is what the player should do. Under high stakes, this is what the player should do.
0: Interesting. And what do you you mean by equilibrium? Just out of curiosity. So
2: equilibrium is essentially a solution. Okay of the game. So it really is a spot where if Greg and I are facing each other, right, there's going to be no incentive to deviate from the strategy that we're currently using. Okay. So a uh, solution that would, is not in equilibrium would be, for instance, if, let's say that I can either go up or down and Greg can go left or right. Now, let's say that our current solution is Uh, me choosing up and Greg choosing left. But if I choose up, Greg can get a higher payoff from choosing right, well then Greg's going to choose right. Yeah. And then if we're there... Greg likes money. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) If I can choose a higher, I get a higher payoff by choosing down, I'm going to pick down. I'm going to deviate from choosing up to down,
0: Okay.
2: right? An equilibrium is a spot where, let's say if we're at up and left well, Greg, you can't do better by choosing right. You're actually doing the best you can. Given the conditional on me choosing up, okay. you're doing the best you can by choosing left. Yeah. And then conditional on you choosing left, I'm doing the best I can by choosing up.
0: Okay, and so that's an equilibrium. Exactly. But if I'm choosing left, and then for you, it's better to choose down. And then it, it would, we would just keep changing. Then there's
2: profitable deviation, yeah. so then there is no equilibrium. There. And so we would
0: just keep changing our responses, exactly. and that's why it's not equilibrium. Exactly. Hmm, interesting. Have you ever, just out of curiosity, have you used your model while you're actually playing poker?
2: So, <laughs> I mean, it's my model is essentially derived from the wisdom that I've, like, I've, I've been playing poker for something like, 12, 13 years. Like, it's... Yeah.
0: So you've been playing poker for a very long time. Yes. And um, then you use the model that, like, you basically wrote it up what you've already done. I mean, as much
2: as I'd like to say that I've used my model, I, I like... So it's funny because I find that I'm more of a an exploitive player as opposed to a game theoretic optimal player, despite okay. doing a PhD in game theory. But I do, when I am playing against players in poker that do know what they're doing, it is the, in my best interest to use a game theoretic optimal yeah. strategy, but if and so I'm, you
0: prefer to exploit when you say exploit, that's your the, the way that you do it. You you essentially find people that are weaker and you just exploit. So that. Is that I'm what you
2: mean? so actually linking this to my model, sure. Sorry, yeah. I, I like to think. Oh no no no, no it's good. Yeah. <laughs> it's I let's just say I'm perceptive because I think I'm pretty perceptive okay. now. I can gauge. It might take me a few hands to gauge who's good and who's bad. But if I know I'm up against an expert player and this actually coincides to a T with what my model produces. So okay. I'm, I'm kind of going in both. I'm That's getting me as a yeah. poker player and me like consulting from my model. Yeah, If I'm perceptive and I know I'm, I'm up against an expert player, I'm gonna take a more passive approach. Yeah. right. I don't want to get out of line. I don't want them to be able to exploit me, right? But if I know I'm up against an inexpert player, I'm going to exploit them and use a more aggressive strategy. So essentially when I'm up against fellow good players, yeah. right, I veer towards a more game theoretic optimal approach, which involves mixing strategies. So raising with aces but also raising with three five suited. Um, a hand that has high potential but weak initial value. So okay. just to mix it up so the players don't really know what you're doing. But if you find a bad player you can deviate away from game-theoretic-optimal strategies and exploit them, right? If they're folding too often, well, then you should be more aggressive. If they're going all-in too often, well, you should be more passive and just wait for a hand, right? Let them hang themselves. Yeah. So even though the game-theoretic-optimal solution is to have this mixed approach, no, if they're leaning more towards a certain way, you should go the other way. Okay. So – Hmm.
1: So, you've definitely had a chance to test your model on all these different – Yeah. Or as much as you can. Can you, you use you that play. as data?
2: <laughs> so, it's hard to say because, I mean, my model specifically depicts a heads-up interaction. Yeah. Right? It's uh, – <laughs> I mean, I, I've used my model as, look, we – So it it aligns with my poker wisdom, right? It's actually the inverse. I'm using my poker wisdom to build my model. Now, what I've done is I've essentially proven using this game theoretic model that perceptiveness is a real thing, right? Even though it doesn't tangibly come out in the actions and the payoffs of players, it's often overlooked when making decisions. So people and like firms, individuals, just in strategic settings should consider the ability to read their opponent when making decisions or investing uh, investments. Right, this may be a skill that firms and other people should be investing in when it's really being overlooked.
1: So this could definitely maybe get adapted for like predicting sports, looking at marketing, and knowing, as you said, probably what what to invest in and when to yeah back away.
2: Right, because if no one can really read their competitors, right? People aren't really thinking about this. They're thinking about, okay, let's right try to gauge the profit potential of the market as accurately as possible. Mm-hmm. right They're overlooking the fact that their opponent might be doing the same thing, a fellow competitor, right or they may be overlooking that. but their competitor's action will affect their own payoff. yeah, right So they should be taking into consideration, the action of their competitors,
0: right? As you're saying this, just one thing that just keeps popping up in my head is the stock market. Yeah. And so I think that this would be pretty huge in the stock market, right? Because if everybody's buying something that maybe like isn't worth as much as people are saying it's worth, they're going to push up the value. And so just your perceptiveness of like whether or not what people are thinking and like why they're buying something like that. Whether it's true or not, you can you can use that to your benefit, and yeah. if you can know that before they actually do it, that's even better, right?
2: Yeah. So essentially, I'm oh, there are definite uh, applications to the stock market, and it actually came up in a presentation of mine. It was a while back, so I forget what what it was. One of my colleagues uh, suggested that I study the market using my model. Um, so that is something that I would like to do yeah. eventually. However, I haven't really gotten into it. It's yeah. just, you know, the whole purpose of my PhD is just illustrating that we need to account for perceptiveness okay. in strategic decision making.
0: Interesting. Just for any other poker players, do you have any other tips? <laughs> I, I'm really interested <laughs>
1: about myself, to be honest. But How can I break <laughs> the people that don't know that good yeah. at bluffing or don't really understand the game? <laughs>
2: So related
0: to game theory, maybe. It's Let's say funny Let's because it recent, recent. I
2: mean, for me, I, I'm not. I don't play poker to make money. I mean, making money, it's huge. I've had numerous opportunities to where I almost made that big score, but I oh. haven't. Um, and you know, I, it's. I mean, for me, it's just a, a strict passion. I, I love the nuances of the game. I've been. You know, drawing out and formulating tournaments since I was five, just on sheets of paper, doing leagues on Excel, and poker seems to check all those boxes of my okay. own personal interests. Now, I think the key—I'm a risk-averse individual, uh, to be honest. I'm not a gambler, even though I do play poker often. And you know, I my hot, my largest buy-in was five thousand two hundred dollars. Um, Which, But the thing is, I didn't actually invest that money. I won an entry to that tournament. I spent about $250. Got an entry to the World Championship of Online Poker, which I'm hoping to play again this year. Um, So you're pretty good. I'm pretty good. (laughs) But I think, you know, for all the poker players out there, I wouldn't force poker. Um, So for me, it's not forced. It's a passion of mine. I truly love the game. I don't play for money. That helps me not till... I've got friends that have made a big, I'm friends with one of the World Series Poker Main Event Champions. Um, oh, he essentially won the ultimate prize of any poker player. So I do know him personally. Uh, another friend won EPT Berlin. Another friend made over a million dollars in two straight years consecutively. Uh, whereas, you know, I mean, I've done well, but not yeah. that well. Uh, but the thing is, for me, it's, it's, a, it's a long game. You know, it's not like LeBron James where he's going to have to retire when he's 40. You can just keep going and going. I plan on playing poker for life. And so essentially what I'm getting at is it's a passion. Yeah. Right. If you're not passionate about it, don't force it. I mean, it's just it would lead to some sort of a lot of people lose a lot of money. Right. And for me, when I started playing, I was a fundamentally tight, patient player. I didn't bluff. I didn't get it over the line. Now I know how to leverage aggressive strategies. For instance, I was playing a tournament yesterday where one player was calling me a bot because I kept on raising every single hand. And I kept on knocking players out and getting lucky. It was awesome. Um, But that's not... I know to do that because I understand the game. When I was just starting, I was really patient. And if you don't have patience to wait out those tight spells, then you're really not going to be successful at it. You're going to lose more than you gain. So I think patience is key and, you know, knowing your limits. Like for me, you know, I could afford larger stakes. I just don't because, right, it's not all about the money. It's all about the game.
0: So basically your research is your life.
2: Yeah, so I've thought like a game theorist well before I even knew what game theory was. I learned what game theory was in the third year of my university. I remember my friend Hamza going, coming up to me with his exam saying like, oh, look how cool this exam, these exam questions are. And I I thought it was the coolest thing. Um, Just like, oh, you can actually predict the actions that people take and compute how well off they will be. And so after that, I took a game theory course, fell in love with it. All about. So, for the, those of you that don't know, game theory is essentially trying using mathematical models to predict the outcome of strategic situations played by rational individuals. And just the thought of being able to predict what people are going to do and the payoffs that they're going to receive—that was just really cool. But there's notions of game theory that you know I can recall going through my head. Before I even came to university, for instance, uh, when I was in high school, I worked at Quiznos. And, you know, when there's downtime, I would often look at the menu uh, of sub choices. And I noticed things like, and I would eliminate menu items. Like, why would anyone ever rationally order Turkey Ranch and Swiss <laughs> when they can get the turkey, bacon, guacamole for the same price? The difference between the two subs is that the turkey, bacon, guacamole has bacon and avocado. And you can always switch the cheeses for no extra cost, you know, just go from Swiss to mozzarella or vice versa. So if you find, like, I, I would come across customers that would order turkey ranch in Swiss and pay an extra dollar fifty for bacon. Well, why don't you just get the turkey bacon guacamole, substitute the cheese, take away the avocado, and there you go. You got it for a cheaper price, right? So it, it was those types of thoughts that would always be present in my head just I mean that's what I do I think um but in game theory for instance to put it in game theoretic terms ordering a turkey bacon guacamole weakly dominates that of ordering a turkey ranch in Swiss so you know that's just the notion of strictly and weakly dominated strategies it's so I found that that was already in my head before I actually learned all these concepts formally
0: have you? So you're in. You're in, You're doing your PhD in economics. Yes. What I'm curious is, have you met anybody else w- during your PhD that's in economics that studies game theory, that didn't actually play poker, and maybe you started teaching them how to play poker, and they started doing amazing. <laughs> that would be hilarious.
2: So actually, I think poker's taken uh, quite a beating in terms of the popularity market. Not many really? people are playing uh, as much as they used to. It, the game is becoming very tough to be, I mean, my return on investment's still positive, but it's not nearly as great as it was because most players do leverage the game. They understand the core principles of game theory and how it relates to poker. They don't necessarily know game theory yeah, um, from a from formal economics perspective, but they understand it when applied to poker.
1: So and you're saying people are getting too good now and people, it's making it even harder. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. It's kind of like Fortnite. I mean, honestly, like (laughs) Fortnite, it was awesome when everyone sucked. But now you've got like these kind of tweener players that just can press so many buttons and like me with my like 32-year-old thumbs or like mini arthritis and like I can't keep up with that. So it's just not really enjoyable. Even Um, with like
0: all the different poker websites that are out there. Well, that's
2: the thing. Everyone knows that information. It's all common information. So all the pros just go everywhere.
0: Yeah. And they they can learn game theory online on well, YouTube or something. They can
2: learn it and how it applies to poker. To poker yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And there's some pretty I don't want to say dumbed down, but for lack of a better term, dumbed down material that teaches you just the very basic principles from using examples. And really it's not about knowing the specific intricacies of poker. It's about just understanding the general intuition and knowing when and when not to apply it. Okay. Um, but, to be honest, I haven't, you know, I've gone to a few conferences, I've got colleagues uh, at different universities across Canada, and I haven't really come across many game theorists like myself. Really? So, I like to pride myself as the only applied game theory PhD student in Canada right now. <laughs> uh, I did a quick search of Canadian websites to look at the specializations of other PhD students. Couldn't find any. I found some that are studying game theory, but, I mean, they're maybe trying to develop new equilibria or applying it to housing markets and like, and how, you know, the influx of, uh, international, I don't know what to say, like international housing applicants, housing buyers, how, like, is there some sort of game theoretic application there? Okay. It's, but for me, you know, I'm more focused on... Nothing,
0: like, like related to games, though. Yeah, so,
2: I mean, that, that's just been a passion of mine since I was a kid. Yeah. Like, I remember playing Monopoly with my friends in high school, and it, it was great because I won every game until they started <laughs> getting up on me, and the, there was a no-trade <laughs> rule of oh, trading I, <laughs> against Adam. That sucked.
1: For me, it was risk. Risk? Yeah, oh, risk is I would get... One. They'd hate it. I'd get too sh- strategic that I'd just take over the most powerful continents they think let's just take Gavin down and then we'll continue the game. Yeah, re- and that's exactly what game. happened to me. And, that's and, the, and they knew it was the only way they could beat me is if they all tag-teamed. Yeah. Because I was too much of a played Age of Empires, divide, conquer. Oh, Empires I got re- of awesome, exactly. was amazing. Yeah. I didn't know... I I wasn't good at game theory, like, the concept of it, but I got good at strategic <laughs> yeah. planning, which I don't know if it... Do they kind of interlap those two, or...?
2: uh like, game theory or risk in Age of Empires? No, or?
1: just, like, should... Game theory versus strategic planning—if they have any connection. This is more just a curious question. I actually. mean, I'd
2: have to think a bit more, but like I would definitely say so. Like it's because game theory is, like I said before, it's the study of you know the behavior of rational agents in a strategic setting, and then you know using mathematical models, you can solve for the optimal strategies of those players right? So given that you know the premise of game theory is in a strategic setting, I would say that strategic planning does have relevance to game theory and vice
0: versa. Hmm. I'm just a little more curious about game theory. So, I'm coming from a background where I haven't learned any economics, haven't learned any game theory. Gavin just put up his hand as well. You guys can't see that. But um, what I'm curious about is, is there multiple game theories? Is there... Is it broken down into categories? Like just, I'm curious more about game theory in itself.
2: So I wouldn't say it's, there's multiple game theories. It's a sub branch of microeconomics, Okay. right? And so microeconomics is, uh, well, there's micro and there's macro. Macro is about aggregate uh, economies, like worldwide. Micro is more about individual decision making.
0: And that's the breadth of my knowledge about economics. Yeah, so economics
2: (laughs) is all about, you know, how, people and firms make decisions or how countries make decisions. Macro focuses on a more aggregated scale. Okay. Micro focuses on a more individual scale. Yeah.
0: So then this is a microeconomics.
2: This thing, is yeah. a more microeconomics because it's the it's providing insight on how individual firms or a- agents, or what we call it, um, make decisions, mm-hmm. right? Now, game theory specific an- specifically analyzes strategic settings. Now, a strategic setting is one in which the actions that Greg does or takes will affect my well being and vice versa. So I need to take into consideration what Greg's gonna do when making my decision. Yeah. So that's what game theory is. And then we can use yeah. mathematical models to figure out the optimal strategies. Yeah.
0: And then your decision will then affect my decision. Exactly. And, just and it vice keeps versa going going forward. We,
2: Yes, and we need to account for that. Yeah. I need to account that your decision will affect my decision, vice versa. So the best responses that I keep on referring to, it's essentially if you can form if you can visualize a mathematical function that has two arguments, X and Y. Now X represents Greg's decision when he's an expert player. Yeah. Or his optimal strategy when he's an expert player and then Y his optimal or best response when he's an inexpert player. Now, those are going to be functions of my best responses or equilibrium strategies. Yeah. And so, but when solving out the system of equations, you can isolate the variables and everything just kind of like magically works out. Um, but yeah, so game theory does take into consideration all that. But really, to, to summarize, it's a sub-branch of microeconomics that focuses solely on strategic settings.
0: Interesting. So basically, what I've learned today is that even though I like poker, I'm not very good at it, and I'm not going to make money, so I probably shouldn't play too much, otherwise just for fun. There are pros out there like yourself, and there's many other great players essentially. I I think I've learned a lot about game theory too, so I I really appreciate you coming on and sharing all of your your wisdom with us from your lifetime of (laughs) experience. And Thanks. I wish you the best going forward. I hope you do make it to like making a couple million dollars at a poker yeah, tournament or something. Yeah. Just for bragging rights. That makes both of us. Yeah. I,
2: well, I, I want to just say one thing. Like the goal for me isn't to buy into large tournaments and make money that way. Um, for instance, the World Championship of Online Poker. I want to get in for a very low cost. I'm never going to buy in for five thousand. Yeah. Right. I want to buy in for fifty dollars. And then get it in that way. Like, my current plan is to satellite into the $100 satellites, then satellite in yeah. from the 100 to the 5000 So, essentially, I want to...
0: Just work your way. By ex- starting with a small tournament, you'll eventually finish and get, get into the, the World Tournament. The way that I think
2: of it is arbitrage. Okay. I want to make millions from ground zero, from not investing anything. My dad okay. gave me $50. I'm playing around with that. Yeah.
0: Well, I wish you the best. If anybody wants to get in contact w- with you or learn more about your research, is there, some, is there a website for your lab or do you have an email maybe or, or, or social media?
2: Yeah, I've got social media. I mean, you can find me on Facebook at Adam Rooney. I think it's like adam.rooney77, but also by email, it Rooney tarooney3 at gmail.com. So yeah, feel free to reach out uh, and I would be happy to discuss anything further.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been GradCast, the official podcast and radio show of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. All of our episodes are, can be found online at gradcast.ca. You can also listen to our podcasts at, uh, on Spotify, on Apple, on Google Play, and anywhere that you really get your podcasts. Uh, we also are on every Tuesday at 6 p.m. on CHRW at 94.9. If you want to join our committee or come on as a guest, you can email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can check out our social media at Gradcast Radio. We're also on YouTube now and have select episodes on YouTube as a video at Gradcast Radio. Thank you so much and have a great night.